Sin acknowledges and pays respects to the owners of the land, the house of Sin, and the studio stands, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin also acknowledges and pays respects to the elders and traditional owners of the land our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. everybody and welcome to another Wednesday edition of the Sports Desk. I'm Tom Parry and this week because there's no sport happening at the moment apart from horse racing and who wants to talk about that we'll be looking at our favourite moments from the past few weeks of the show. Included in today's episode are my discussion with James Worth from our very first episode back in January about our favourite moments from the sporting summer. Then we've also got a discussion about Super Bowl 54, which I'll be doing with Jacob. And then Jacob will be returning for another couple of discussions from week three about the Australian Cricket Association Awards and news regarding the AFLW and the AFL men's competition. This is Sin. Where young people run the show. In excess there with what you need. And you are listening to the Sports Desk on Sin with me, Tom Parry. This week we are looking at our favourite moments from the past few weeks of this season and our first discussion today is from our very first episode of Sports Desk 2020. I was co-hosting the show with James Worth who's a veteran of the Sports Desk and we used the opportunity to talk about our favourite moments from the 2019-2020 Summer of Sports. We thought we'd take a little bit of time now to talk about our highlights from the rest of the summer because this is our first show of 2020. Um, and I wanted to put forward Australia's comprehensive test victories. I mean, they have absolutely dominated the cricket this summer. They won both of their games against Pakistan by an innings, which means they only had to bat the one time. And then New Zealand, they won both games by triple figures, I think. So, yeah, it's we're, going, we're heading back to the good old days of the Aussies dominating cricket. It's yeah. awesome. I'm. I mean, look, it's probably my best summer of cricket that I've watched. Just, I mean, look, it wasn't that great competition. No, definitely but not. But no. it was just good to see the dominance, mm. and it was just good to see us actually play well. It might have not been against good opponents. True. Well, well then again, New Zealand's the number two test team in the world, or they yeah, were. But at we least. ran over them like we, a freight train. We did. We absolutely like, did. Like, there's no, there's no two ways about it. I mean, I went to three of the five days mm. of the test match, and this is uh, MCG yeah, Boxing Day test. And yeah. I was just mesmerised. Mm. I mean, I just sat there, just intently watching. Like, mm. I love, I love watching Stark bowl mm. that high action that he that he gets and just rips that um, right arm down to get that action mm. in, just. Oh, I love that man. I mean, the entire bowling attack, though, is great. I mean, not just Stark for his outright pace, but Josh Hazelwood and um, 
Jim Patterson as well, who was brought in to replace Hazelwood, and uh, Pat Cummins, who was recently named the ICC's Test Player of the Year yep. and included in the Test Team of the Year as well. I mean, talking about Pat Cummins, he mm. went for a massive um, price in the IPL auction. He did. That yeah. was... I can't remember what off the top of my head. I think it was much three million, which equates to about like three hundred thousand a game. Thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. Mm. That is crazy money. When you consider as well that he's not exactly dominant in the T Twenty format. That, I mean, like Test is his bread and butter. So yeah, it's really quite phenomenal there. And that's excluding finals. So if they oh, yeah, go in, for oh, our paycheck's going to be damn good. <laughs> it will be. Uh, James, have you got any other highlights from the summer that you wanted to share at all? I'm a big fan of the A-League, as mm-hmm. you probably know. Yes. Um, so I do, I have been a big fan of the summer of A-League mm-hmm. at this, like, so January, December. It's been good quality. I've enjoyed that. Um, I mean, you know, you can't really report on that too many games. I went to a West United game on Sunday mm-hmm. against Adelaide United at the Witten Oval mm-hmm. in Footscray. And I went I went because it was pretty close. I'm a City fan, but, you know, I just went to see the spectacle. And that was a fantastic game. It was 3-1 after 24 minutes. Whoa. And I was, it was just a fantastic game. I mean, both teams turned it on. Um, and in the end, uh, Adelaide won 4-3 out of that one. It's especially amazing when you consider that soccer is sometimes a game where nobody scores at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And it was, I, I just came into it saying, okay, um, Adelaide's probably going to win this 2-3-0. Mm. Easy game. They're up 2-0 after 13 minutes, I mm. think. So I wasn't expecting too much. But then West United actually turned up and actually played some pretty decent um, football. Mm. But the one thing that for my summer highlights, mm. if I'm going to say, you know, yep. the highlight, uh, Boxing Day test, mm. but not actually watching the cricket, everything else apart from the cricket. Oh, yeah, because it's an absolutely amazing experience being at a Boxing Day test. I was there during the Ashes 2010 when yep. Australia lost, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah, absolutely amazing atmosphere. You're in with the crowd, you're all getting on board, you cheer for every... Uh, appeal, cheer for every boundary. Screaming nice Gary every third ball. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I've got to give a massive ups to KO Sports, right? Mm. The streaming company. Because yep. what they did was they've got a, they had a bowling machine that recreates some of the most historic balls in world cricket. Mm-hmm. So they've got like a bowling machine that recreates the ball of the century, Mitchell Starks. Um, uh, I think it was his fastest ball, 160Ks. Yep. Um, and then it was... I think they had Peter Siddle's hat-trick ball against um, Stuart Broad. Mm-hmm. They have Nathan Lyons against Kumar Sangakara that stumped him. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that won against um, that Phil Hughes tribute match they yes. had? Mm-hmm. Um, so all these famous deliveries. And at the end of the day, they had T-shirts for every member of KO that mm-hmm. like summed up the day. And that was when James Patterson took four for whatever, I think it was 23 or whatever mm-hmm. like that. And they had T-shirts of him. And I, and I got a T-shirt and it's hanging up in my room. And I just love it. Because it's obviously, you know, Victorian, yeah. fast bowler. We love Patagos, he's a Victorian. Yeah, exactly. And so on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I've, that T-shirt's hanging up proudly in my room. Mm. And it's a picture of him, like, after a wicket, putting his hand up, like, come on. <laughs> and then it's got, like, um, the Vicks fight back. Mm. And that caption just sums up Australian cricket in a nutshell. Yeah. Because if you don't know, Vic- Victorian's going to be hard, um, hard done by by the New South Wales um, 
test selectors. Oh, honestly. Th- this has always been the case. Like, my dad it's, it's has been... It's been like that forever. Yeah, my dad has been complaining about it since the day I was born, really. It's like, oh, they never select the Victorians. Oh, it's always the bloody New South Welshmen. You come out of the women, the first thing he says to you is, oh, these bloody New South Welshmen always stealing our players. <laughs> That's exactly right, though. Yeah. I, I mean, when you think about great Victorian players like David Hussey, for example, never got a test call up. And no. he's like... As good as his brother Mike, if not better. So, mm. and then we had um, is, is Michael Klinger a Victorian or is he a Western Australian? I think he's. I because, mean, he might be because he played for Victoria for quite a while. I think he might be a West Australian. I'm pretty sure. Okay, because yeah. a lot of Victorians who have played for Victoria, who are not Victorian, mm. I mean, outstanding. I remember, I remember playing EA Sports Cricket 07, mm. and Michael Klinger being in there, <laughs> and I went to watch a Test match, or a four day match, whatever. What, what, Sheffield Shield? Yeah, are. Sheffield Shield, yeah. four-day match. Yeah. And I was just obsessed. And, I mean, what we've we've got, um, obviously, Mitch, Mitchell Johnson came out mm. of um, Western Australian squad. Western Australia's had quite a few mm. high-quality players come out. They um, have, sure. The one thing I'm disappointed about, Ashton Agar only got one test match. <laughs> yeah, he needs to come back, honestly. And he honestly. got 99 in his first innings, and he got dropped. yeah. Like but he got dropped because he didn't make a century. That's why <laughs> that one, that one run. They're just like, mm. oh, you disgust me. <laughs> Ninety nine on your debut. That's filthy. Never talk to me again. <laughs> just, just, just get straight. Just get sent on the charter plane home. Yeah. Don't talk to me again. That wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened. Um, no, in New South Wales. Yeah, uh, but one of the other highlights I wanted to raise was the yes. uh, rally for relief that a lot of tennis stars took part in prior to the Australian Open. It raised $5 million for the Australian bushfire appeal and Amazing. it included the likes of Roger Federer, Nick Kyrgios, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka and uh, Stefanos Zitsipas. Yes. Dominic mm. team was in there as well. Was he? Oh. But he said nothing. <laughs> he was very quiet. Hmm. Well, well, English is his second language, so yeah, maybe he was enough. just letting everybody else do the and talking for him. And then Coco Golf was in there as well. Oh, the yeah, the 15-year-old. Year old. Yeah, she was funny. So they had, what, the two doubles matches, mm-hmm. and then they had the Federer versus Kyrgios, like, I, actual, I believe like, that was proper it. match. Yes. And Kyrgios was actually getting quite annoyed with himself when he kept dropping points and <laughs> scream, whatever, like that. Mm. So I was taking it quite seriously. So I think mm. it was... Because um, they were cheap tickets, obviously for the, and then there were donation buckets going around. Yeah. So people who paid very cheap tickets for centre court, you know, watching two heavyweights of the tennis, would mm. go at it very hard in a practice match. I mean, what more do you want? Exactly. What more do you want? That was me speaking to James Worth from the very first week of Sports Desk, way back in January. Sin, where young people run the show. This is the Sports Desk. You're with me, Tom Parry. I'm looking back at the best moments from the past season of the Sports Desk. And coming up right now, my co-host Jacob Scanlon and I are talking about the 54th edition of what Americans call the big game. Super Bowl 54, Jacob. I still haven't watched it, but the news has been coming in left, right and centre and uh, it looks like... One hell of a game to watch. It was absolutely one hell of a game to watch. I did take the day off work so that I could watch it live, and I absolutely enjoyed it. I do it every year, actually. It's it's become like a tradition for me. I just take that Monday off work and just spend the entire day at home watching a game which I barely understand and enjoying <laughs> myself enormously. Your opinion on the game itself? The game itself, I thought it was a very good game, actually. So... Uh, for those who aren't aware of the final score, it was the Kansas City Chiefs, the winner of the American Football Conference, who won over the San Francisco 49ers, who were the 
National Football Conference Championships, champions, I should say. Uh, and the final score was uh, 31 30, to 31-20 in favour of the Chiefs. Now, at half time, it was actually an even score, 10 to 10. And that's only happened, I think, three or four times in Super Bowl history. So it was something rare there. And then, as it got into the third frame, or quarter, as we'd call it here in Australia, the San Francisco 49ers were ahead by 10 points. So the score was 20-10 in their favour. And then the Chiefs came from behind and scored another 11 points to win the game. There was a um, controversial uh, touchdown in there, wasn't there? There there was indeed, Jacob. We were just mentioning it before on Get Serial. In the final moments of the game... One of the players, I don't come for the life of me remember his name, but he it appeared as though he stepped outside the field of play before he made the touchdown of the football. So unlike rugby, where you have to actually physically put the ball on the ground in order for it to be a touchdown, in American football, it only has to go over the line yeah. for it to be a touchdown. And what we saw from the replays was that the ball was still in the field when... Uh, yeah, the touchdown happened, but the player was just slightly outside the line there. So, yeah. Interesting. I, I yeah. can't imagine that um, went down too well with a lot of fans. No, it didn't. Go- the 49ers were um, very much the favourites. They were very much the favourites. As they walked onto the field or ran onto the field, there was a huge cheer for them, and the Chiefs came in later, and there was a chorus of boos. So, yeah, clearly um, the crowd was biased, and they weren't happy with that decision. But... Uh, It was shown on the video replay, the referees on the field and uh, behind the screen said, no, that's okay, we'll allow that. Yeah, not much you can really do in that situation. There's really not much you can do at all. Good form, though, because it's the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the first time they've won uh, in 50 years. It is the first time they've won in 50 years. So the Kansas City Chiefs last won a Super Bowl in 1970. Yeah. And they had uh, won the title once before that. So that's now three... No, sorry, two wins out of three games for uh, the Chiefs. And the other one that I keep seeing floating around um, is Andy Reid. Uh, 21 years of coaching and um, he's finally won his first, uh, I guess, big accolade. That's true. Now, Andy Reid has only been the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs for a few years. Before that, he uh, did guide the Philadelphia Eagles to their Super Bowl game, which they lost. And before that, obviously, he was one of the you know, assistant coaches, as we've Mm. called them in Australia, for the other teams. But, no, this is the first title for Andy Reid. And I have to say, if if you haven't seen a photo of him, just look it up, because he looks like a stereotypical American. (laughs) He's got got the huge mo, he's got the huge gut. He looks like like he's a sheriff in 1800s America, honestly. He looks like the very Texas sheriff who, um, Mm. a bit slow, but... Does his job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the weird thing is that Kansas City is actually in Missouri, so it's it's not quite mm. the South. It's kinda of like the Midwest, I guess you could say. Yeah. So yeah, well done to the Chiefs there. And we should also mention that the most valuable player of the game was Patrick Mahomes. He's only twenty four, so he's younger than me. And that's actually quite young for a, a football player as well. Yeah. Hmm. And he was last year's uh MVP for the NFL overall as well. He's doing well for himself, now, especially thought, at such a young age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, I just think of all these sportsmen who are my age and younger, and I think to myself, if I had, have, you know, been a bit more diligent with training and, you know, actually turning up at these sporting practices, you know, <laughs> where could I have been? Uh, it, it's horrible to look at um, the younger players coming in and getting all these accolades and 
doing so well and you're sitting there three or four years older than them. Mm, very <laughs> true. Now, um, I mentioned before that the Kansas City Chiefs were the winners of the American Football Conference. So to explain, listeners, the NFL has a conference system similar to the NBA, but rather than East v. West, what they do is they sort the teams quite uh, cleverly into uh, four categories in each conference. So they'll go north, east, south, and west. They'll have four teams from each of the respective corners of America, and then they'll do the same in the National Football Conference as well. And The idea behind that is to provide a more even spread of teams to ensure that it is actually the best two teams which get into the final. It's it's a great idea. It's... um makes more sense than, uh, I guess, our AFL situation where it's all Victorian-based mostly anyway. Um, and uh, it does really show the best of the best from the game. Mm. Um, with that uh, said, it doesn't always work. Uh, that, that's, that's to be expected, though, with every sport. Uh, occasionally you'll have an upset, you'll have a surprise, and you'll have a team that doesn't really look like they belong there. But it, it does, I guess, filter out the worse, uh, the worser teams and bring the the cream of the crop to the top um, and just fix everything, uh, not fix everything, but make it look the best it can. From all the way back in week two, that was Jacob Scanlon and I talking about Super Bowl 54, in which the Kansas City Chiefs won convincingly over the San Francisco Giants. That was from week two of this season, all the way back in February Sin, where young people run the show. Next up is a discussion that Jacob and I had in week three, February 12th, and it's about the Australian Cricket Association Awards, which were formerly known as the Allen Border Medal. So the Cricket Awards were um, just uh, just a couple of days ago, actually. That they were. So the Cricket Awards happened on Monday night, and originally known as the Allen Border Medal, you know, take mm. its name after the Brownlow Medal, the AFL's uh, night of nights, shall we say. But yeah. uh, now that uh, women's cricket is on the up, uh, they're trying to involve them more in the night, and so it's just become the Australian Cricket Awards. As it should. As it should, absolutely. Now, the big winner from Monday night was David Warner, who took home the... Main prize at the Allen Border Medal. He won by one vote ahead of Steve Smith. And uh, a lot of people are actually quite unhappy about it, Jacob, because he didn't have the best ashes. He scored 95 runs, averaging... 9.5. Yeah, 9.5, single digits. But uh, he did really well in the World Cup. Uh, He was also named the International T20 Australian Player of Mm. the Year. So he did well there. And, of course, he had that magnificent summer here in Australia where he scored 335 not out against Pakistan. And I think Warner himself was even taken aback at the fact that he did win. I I honestly think it's... um, He probably shouldn't. Uh, With Steve Smith and Pat Cummins and so many other amazing players at the moment um, and him having a a less than amazing um, last couple... Uh, runs with the 9.5, and also wondering if it's too, um, I guess, if the Sandpaper Gate incident is too fresh in our minds. I think that's where a lot of the criticism is coming from, the fact that this happened a little over 22 months ago now. So, Mm. yeah, it's coming up on the two-year anniversary, and people still think that, well, there are a select number of people anyway who think that David Warner shouldn't be part of the team because of that very 
incident. And you've also got to remember it was Pat Cummins who polled third uh, with, uh, what was it, yeah, 185 votes overall. And he was also recently named the ICC's Test Player of the Year. Mm. So you've got to wonder what the Australian team saw in Dave Warner that the ICC panel didn't. It, it's hard to say. I um, Part of me wonders if it's the, the name value. It's um, possible. But being one, uh, being a one-vote win, mm. I feel like that rubs it in a little bit harder if you weren't expecting it. Even True. Warner, uh, as you said, wasn't expecting himself. I've got a quote from him here, um, and I quote, I had an absolutely horrendous ashes. I didn't think I was really a chance. Mm. And I th- again, I think that really shows he's, he's had an all-right season, pretty good season, actually, throughout the rest of the year. Um, but that last run throws it off and I feel like it could have gone to someone who was more consistent who also being really good I personally mm. think Pat Cummins mm. You've, we've also got to acknowledge though that the Allen Border Medal it's not voted on by your peers or by Cricket Australia staff like the other awards are mm. it's voted on by numerous people so it's voted on by the umpires it's voted on by the coaching staff the players and also by the media they also have a role in that that's an interesting one to have the media in there I mm. feel like I feel like it's an interesting one with people talking about it being too soon. Um, for, uh, again, from Sandpaper Gate and him having that pretty bad ashes, mm. and the media having an influence. I I do. I'd love to know. Um, I guess how many votes came from each source. Um, the media source would be really interesting because the media is blowing up right now. And, yes. Um, really taking him to town. Yeah. So I think their money might have been on Pat Cummins mm-hmm. <laughs> for the top prize there. Now, as for the secondary prizes for the men's competition, Marnus Lambertshain took out the Test Player of the Year. He polled 25 votes ahead of Smith with 22 and Pat Cummins with 19. Mm. So, interesting there. In the ODI Player of the Year, it was taken out by the captain, Aaron Finch, with 38 votes, followed by Usman Kawaja with 33 and Dave Warden with 24. And as I mentioned up the top there, Dave Warner won the International T20 Player of the Year, and he was ahead of Glenn Maxwell's 16 votes and Kane Richardson and Steve Smith, who were tied on eight. Kane Richardson is a bit of, su- of a surprise, honestly. He had an all right, Ashes. Yeah, he, he did. He had an okay uh, tour over in England, but um, yeah, he's not really uh, firing up. He, he, I mean, you hear about him a lot in the domestic competition, but you mm. don't really hear a lot about his international successes. I feel like it's um, that might be a lot more staff and um, mm. coaching starting to look at him and go, hey, this is someone who might be doing a little bit more backstage, mm. uh, that kind of thing. But um, I, I also think they might see a lot more in him in the next couple of years, which definitely keep an eye on it. Uh, for sure, yes. Now, as for uh, the female winners, it was Elise Perry who took out the Belinda Clark Award, which is the female equivalent of the Allen Border Medal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the women's domestic T20 winner was... Oh, I've lost her name here. Uh, Molly Strano. There yes. we are. So she plays for the Melbourne Renegade. She's had an absolutely amazing summer. Uh, she's will probably be my second favourite player behind Sophie Molyneux. Yeah? So, yeah, I, I'd go there. Um, so who are the other winners of the night, Jacob? Okay, so the Betty Wilson Young Cricketer of the Ward went to uh, Taylor Vlemick, uh, mm-hmm. Vlemick. Mm-hmm. Um, we then had the Hall of Fame induction uh, yes. was Craig Dermont. Craig uh, McDermott. McDermott. Yes, so fast bowler, did a lot of work with Merv Hughes back in the mm. 80s and 90s. He's now the bowling coach of Australia. And there was a funny uh, moment there 
where um, I think it was Tim Lane, he referred to an incident. Tim Lane was hosting the event. He referred mm. to an incident where Alan Border had a like a verbal spray at Craig McDermott on the field, which was picked up by all the microphones. Oh, they're always fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Craig was asked what that was about, and he just tried to play it off. So, like, oh, yeah, we were arguing over where to eat dinner that night. And it's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, nice try, Craig. You're not fooling anyone. But, uh, yeah, um, so we've also got here Wes Agar was the Bradman Young Cricketer of the Year. He's played yeah. in Victoria. He's also uh, He also had a good summer with the Adelaide Strikers in the mm-hmm. T20 competition. Another uh, Hall of Fame induction uh, in mm. Sharon Trede. Yes. Trede? Trede. I think that's it. how you pronounce it. There we are. Sure. Uh, the men's domestic player of the year was Sean Marsh, who again was playing for the Renegades. Yep. Uh, the women's international T20 player of the year was Alyssa Healy, and she also won the women's ODI player of the year. So, yeah, she. I think she might have just missed out on the Belinda Clark Award there. It's a shame, but um, I can't imagine she's walked away... Um disappointed in any manner she's walked away with two other prizes she has walked away with two other prizes jacob and i talking about the australian cricket association awards one of our discussions from way back in week three of sports desk wednesdays 2020 on fm on dab plus and streaming online at sin.org.au this is sin the next discussion that you'll hear is some news about the AFLW and potentially some news regarding the AFLM. Steve Hocking um, recently put out the idea of naming the men's uh, competition the AFLM uh, series, mm. which would obviously um, mirror the AFLW series. Now, the AFL itself has stated that it uh, has no plans. Mm to actually change the name. Hmm. What do you think um, of the name? Would you do, you... do you like it? Do you think that um, we should just keep it to AFL or...? Well, I'm all for changing the, the name of it, but I think at the moment, uh, AFLW, it's still an emerging competition and it's not quite on the same level as the men's league, like the traditional yeah. AFL league. So I think that once uh, the women's competition hits its stride and we get some real high-quality uh, games out of them, then maybe we could consider changing the name. But I think for the time being, the AFL is just fine being the yeah, AFL. I, I pretty much agree with that. Mm. I think the only change I'd even consider making would be maybe removing the W from AFLW, mm. having both called AFL just to bleed them into each other a little bit better. That's not but a bad so, idea, actually. The problem with that, then, again, is uh, having the seasons overlapping mm. would cause quite a bit of confusion. Well, well, maybe it might be good to have the seasons overlap, though, because you could have, a like what they did with the Big Bash uh, two seasons ago, you could have uh, the women's games as the warm-up, and then you mm. could have the men's games on after that. So, like, have a double header. Yeah, I could see that. It would definitely help the women's game with mm. um, getting their audience. And one thing they've had a bit of issue with uh, recently was tickets... Yes, um, tickets is an issue. There was a, a it was a opinion piece put out in ABC News just recently about how a lot of people were turning away from the game because they couldn't find out where to buy tickets. They had no idea that the games were free. Yeah. Like, like, so we should say this, listeners, all of the AFLW games are free. There is no cost involved. You can just turn up at the ground and provided they got seats, you will be able to see a quality that's, game of AFL. I think that's the biggest thing as well because hmm. it's uh, international people coming over. They might not be used to the idea of a free sporting event True. on such a level. Uh, for example, like college um, football in America hmm. isn't free. No. Usually that's cost uh, that's cost worthy, mm-hmm. um, and again with with the 
uh, uh, lockouts eventually. That does drive people away. It does like, drive people away. The cause... Colton game, for example, people were lining up at six mm. just to get in, and are we are they still got locked out. And I think that issue would honestly be solved by tickets, even if they're really cheap, mm. um, or even you can still do free again. Just book them ahead of time. That's true. Yes, um, but the issue in that is you've got so many people booking those free tickets, and then eventually they you know they sell them on the black market. You know. Uh, I mean, I see that definitely, but this is something that uh, I feel like the women's uh, league is going to start to struggle with as it gets bigger and bigger. Mm. Is you cannot just have first come first served mm. to the games. You're going to eventually start to uh, have these rural um, stadiums that can't hold anywhere near what you want them to hold. That's true, and you need a contingency plan in place when that happens. I know for the. Uh, original AFLW season, the very first game they played, they uh, had it so that they had projectors outside the ground so that people could watch the game and mm. be part of the atmosphere even if they couldn't be in the ground itself. And I think that the AFL needs to consider doing more things like that. And as you said, Jacob, like when they go to like the rural games, they need to consider that you know this is like a really popular sport and they need to think about uh, how many people are turning up, who's turning up, and uh, what happens when they you know, run out of space. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, uh, I still think that tickets might be worth looking at for this uh, series, even if they're just really cheap, like a $5 ticket. Well, I made this argument actually on the Sports Test podcast a couple of years ago that you know even though it's like very minimal cost, there needs to be some cost in there yeah, so it, that the players can be you know reimbursed. I know that the AFL is putting a lot of money into this game, but I think that it'd be ha- nice for them yeah. to get some money back from it too. Yes, exactly. That's right. And by having ticket prices, I mean you know everyone loves free stuff, but you know I, I think given that a lot of these women, this is a full time profession for exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, like much like the men, you know they have to train. Them Nine to five, they have to go into the club. They and then in the off season, they have to you know train still, train harder. Well, I mean, one thing I'd like to see. Uh, just, this is going on to another topic too, mm. but because um, th- they had recently with the expansion, um, mm. Richmond, St Kilda, West Coast, and Gold Coast, mm. uh, that money coming back in from ticket sales could go into training That's uh, true. and help with these newer teams coming in. Because for, for example, all of these new teams that came in, um, they lost pretty badly with the exception of Gold Coast. Yeah, Gold Coast who lost by a single point <laughs> to the uh, Greater Western Sydney Giants who oh, won with a score of 9. That was a good game mm. to watch, but um for those who don't know, it is the lowest aggregate score uh for the AFLW as of yet. Mm. And people have always complained about the low scores for AFLW. That's no exception. Yeah, that's just adding ammunition to their arguments, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Now, coming back onto the issue of costs, though, uh, Jacob, how would you feel if at the, at the gates of every venue that played an AFLW match, you were to, say, contribute a gold coin donation of some sort before you could enter the ground? Is that something you'd be open to? Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea, actually. Mm. A, a gold coin, coin donation, mm. I, I feel like it adds a bit of legitimacy feeling mm. to the actual mm. game because mm. one you do have to pay for it it doesn't feel like yes. it's a it's a sideshow to the AFL uh, the men's season anyway and when you consider the absolutely ludicrous cost you have to pay for a regular premiership season game oh uh, yeah it, it's um it i feel like it does definitely uh hinder the AFLW not to have any sort of cost mm. in total and i think it worked for maybe the first 2 years but mm. after that they needed to start looking at putting small costs in maybe booking tickets ahead of time, 
there are so many problems that are avoided by this and so many things that are helped by doing this. Absolutely, there are. And um, you made the point just before, Jacob, going back again, about uh, the newer teams and the low-scoring games. Do you think that could potentially uh, damage the AFLW's credibility? Uh, the low-scoring games? Mm. Well, that's that's been the issue since the start. Um, however, I think it was round four last um, season, mm. they started to prove that when you get these teams that are better, uh, starting to get better and more skilled, uh, like Carlton and uh, Collingwood, for example, mm. um, they start getting up there. I remember that round having three games with an aggregate of over 50 um, each. And people were starting to turn around and go, oh, hold on. If we can get more of this, people might turn up. And I think the biggest thing they're struggling with right now, again, this is um, the training issue. Because I think the expansion has happened probably a little bit too quick. Mm. There haven't been enough, um, I guess, not to say not skilled, but people on the same level as the players who have played for the last three years. Mm. Um, And I think that's starting to show a little bit and will probably show a little bit more this season. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, the newer teams finish uh, at the bottom of both brackets. Yeah, I, th- I think that's more than likely the case there. But, you know, they are. this is their first season in the competition. Yeah. They're only going to grow from here. Oh, without Pro- a doubt. Provided that they've got the right coaching staff and they've got the right funds and that they've got the right support, then, yes, they can potentially go all the way. That's the idea. I mean, we've seen that in the men's competition. Like, the West Coast Eagles, they won their first premiership within three or four years of entering the competition. I mean, GWS, how, how close have they been? And they only came in uh, during the decade. Yeah, that's quite right. So, yes, it is possible, listeners. It is possible. From week three of the Sports Desk, that was Jacob and me talking about the latest AFLW news and whether or not the men's competition could be renamed. That's all we have time for this week. We'll have another special episode next week, recapping the latter part of the season. But in the meantime, you can check us out on social media. We've got our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash sportsdesksyn. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out via the handle at sportsdesksyn. And don't forget, you can relive any of these moments via our podcast. Find it on Omni.fm, iTunes and Spotify by searching Sports Desk S-Y-N. Once again, I'll be back next week with another special lockdown edition of the Sports Desk. Until then, though, keep well, stay safe and take care. Bye bye.